good morning, brothers and sisters and, and friends. I hope that you all are, are doing well. This morning we are going to finish our series on deacons, the diaconate, the ministry of deacons for the body of Christ. And as we wrap up our time in this series, I want to summarize sort of at a 30,000-foot view of what we have talked about and over the last few weeks together. I laid out for you at the very beginning the historical context of why our church needs to hear a series on deacons, and that is because we do not have deacons. We are a church plant. We started as a church plant seven years ago. I don't know when that designation finally ends, but uh, we have uh, certainly have crossed that threshold in a sense in our growth that we are in need of, of deacons. And so at the beginning of when we planted our church, it was more, it was, uh, uh, it was necessary for us as a congregation to understand what elders were first. And as we see the, the biblical precedent from Titus chapter 1, that it is the precedent of elders to be put in place and the priority of doing so. And so that's what we have been working on and we were doing in the beginning. Uh, second, we needed to understand the importance of the plurality of, of, of elders, that we are not just a single pastor at the top, but there is a plurality of elders that oversee the, the ministry and the work and the preaching and teaching and the spiritual growth and the shepherding of the church of Sovereign Grace Church. We were a small congregation. Simplicity was the key. And so we needed to grow not only in elders, but also grow in the, 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 the longing of love for one another and serving one another. Okay, so, so that's what set us up historically of why we needed uh, why we needed deacons. In the last three years, our church has beginning to has really begin to uh, um, begin to grow, and the blessings of growth and the joy of church growth uh, comes a growing, increasing amount of needs among the congregation and with out, outside of the congregation. Right, coming into the church, including every single one of us, we all have our needs, we all have our baggage, we all have our issues, and which needs to be met and to deal with. Uh, and so as we grow, there's more pressures that are put upon the elders. And now we know in God's providence at this point, time has come, uh, and especially in anticipation of not only the growth that we have seen in the past, but in anticipation of growth that is to come, um, we as a church, uh, we need to have biblically qualified men to serve in the office of deacon. And as I said at the very beginning of the series, that over these past five weeks or so, if, if you men do not see yourself as potentially, uh, whether it be now in the immediate sense or later as you grow, in Christ and mature and become qualified for the diaconate or even for the eldership, that 
Um, if, if, if you do not see yourself as being someone that is able to do that, if you are not asking yourself the question, what is holding me back from becoming a deacon or an elder in, say, the next five or six years of your life, then this, uh, um, this message, these, this series is simply for you. Elders and deacons do not just show up out of nowhere. The deacons that we need now are the ones that are already sitting in these chairs this morning. And maybe even some who are not here this morning. Those who have already been serving. Those who have already been deaconing the church. You are here this morning. And so you see the progression of the series is for us to eventually have the office of deacons in place. So in this five-part series, we have already asked three main questions. The first question was, who serves the church? And we answered that in three different parts. The first answer to that question we started with is that the church serves the church. The church deacons the church. Our church members deacon one another. Second, we discussed how the elders serve the church. And third, the obvious answer, which is the whole point of this series, is that deacons serve the church. Acts chapter 6 shows us how the Lord has providentially, through a nasty situation that was on the rise in the, in the new church in, in Jerusalem, that the Lord gave wisdom to the apostles on how to instruct the church to pick seven good men to do the work of the deacons to serve the church, to serve tables, right? And in that, we saw how deacons, these deacons were such a great help in serving tables, the physical needs within the body of church, of the church. They were prioritizing the preaching of God's word. They were acting as shock absorbers to heal the wounds of the church, the tensions in the church. They created unity within the body, uh, the body of Christ. So that's the first, the first question. The second question we asked is, who can serve in the church? Who can serve in the church? Well, the, the answer to that question, yes, is absolutely deacons, but who can be a deacon? Who can become a deacon? What, and that's what, what should, should concern us more about anything when it comes to a deacon is not just their skill and talents and gifts that they bring to the table, but their quality but their quality, but not a quality according to our standards, but a quality according to the standards of the king of kings. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see the list of qualifications that a deacon must be dignified. What a great word, dignified. Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. A deacon must be tested first. A deacon must lead his household well. A, a deacon must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, I'm not going to unpack those. Those are on the website. You can go back and listen to those if you have not heard that message or any of the other messages. And the third question that we asked last week is how do they serve? How do they deacon? Well, the central fact and the fundamental uh, the fundamental part of the office of deacon means to serve. If you haven't been around, you haven't known, that is literally what that word means. 
It is not only its title, but it is the job description of a deacon, and that is to serve. It is an office of service, of servanthood, right? And this is what we talked about last week, how, how deacons serve in the ways that they do, in all the ways that they do, to prioritize the preaching and prayer in the church. Deacons serve to manifest Christ's compassion and care for the poor and needy. Deacons serve so that all things are done in the church in order and in a decent manner. And so then deacons serve as called men to make sure that all of the physical needs that may burden the body of Christ are met. And so, for example, here at Sovereign Grace Church, our deacons will not serve alone. Right? We, we, they won't serve alone. This, is now not, this isn't now to let everyone else off the hook from serving. But they are now to mobilize the members to do the work of the ministries. They are to be task-specific, role-oriented deacons. And as elders so far, we have categorized, at least for now, three tasks that, that we will soon be asking you to find to meet these three tasks with three deacons. Task one, a deacon should have, or a deacon of general functions of the church. And we've identified this as the, the, the general maintenance of the building and grounds of sovereign grace. Church, the building. The overseeing of the preparations of our ordinances. And then for task two, a deacon for the care of the, the body of Christ, right? This is the facilitating weekly, this general hospitality of our members and those who visit. Uh, very practically, meeting people at the door, making sure guests get the welcome bag put in their hands. Uh, membership care, matters of benevolence for the poor and for the needy. The upkeep of the organization of our book table. And then task three, we identified a deacon for the ministry to the children of Sovereign Grace Church. And if you haven't noticed... That, that is not only a need that we've had for a long time, but that is a growing need at our church. So this series, as I said, I've, I just kind of took it over a 30,000-foot overview of what we have talked about in the last couple of questions. And today we are going to take up our last question, and that is, what is the point? What is the point? Now, we know the point of having deacons is for us to be biblical. We want to be biblical in having deacons. We know God has given us this office to serve the church, to meet the needs, and on and on with all the things that we have already uh, discussed. But, but maybe, maybe we should take this question, what is the point? And, and let's ask that question from the perspective of the potential or uh, uh, or the, uh, yeah, the potential deacon, the one who, who may think that they're qualified or maybe aspiring to be a deacon some way, but they're asking themselves, what is the point? Maybe they are weary of becoming a deacon. Maybe the whole idea of, of being a deacon has a, has a very bad taste in their mouth. And they wonder, is the sacrifice, is all of this serving, is it really worth it? Because I can just keep coming on Sunday. 
I can continue to sit in my seat. I can continue to be nice and kind. I continue to tithe. And I can occasionally jump in and help when, when help needs. But I don't have to be emotionally or physically invested. Because what's the point? You, you might have noticed in our time over these last five weeks that there really isn't many passages in the Bible that explicitly addresses the deacons. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 8 through 13, notably. Acts chapter 6, very notably. And we've, we've preached from these passages and we've looked at them quite a bit. And some of them, again, we will, we will point to this morning. However, as we will look again to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13 in just a moment... And asking the question from the perspective of a potential deacon, my point in answering this question for you is that you would be encouraged and that you would be built up in such a way that you will be ready to serve willingly to the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're aspiring to to be a deacon. Maybe, maybe you can come to the understanding this morning that the service of a deacon is pivotal to the joy of the body of Christ. And your ministry as a deacon is uniquely displaying the glories of Christ. Maybe, maybe brother, you're one of those who have asked that question and do not think You've seen that the sacrifices outweighs the joy, and you are not aspiring. And you may not understand, you may not understand that the point of giving so much time, so much effort, so much mental anguish at times, and sacrifice, you may think that it seemingly there's just such little in return. That I pray this morning that this sermon, in answering the question, what is the point, will stir your heart and to stir your soul to the great reward. The great reward that is not found here on earth, that we none of us are striving for. But the great reward is the treasures in heaven. And then lastly, to the rest of the church may not ever be a deacon. I pray that this morning that you will also see the great joy and benefit that deacons will have for our church. I ask that you will pray for them. I ask that you would encourage them in all the ways that they will, will need. I ask that you would be ready to jump up and, and serve along with them as they ask. I also ask that you continue to give, to give the financial resources for the, that will fund the diaconal ministry that they would never have lack. So let's look now to 1 Timothy chapter 3, just verse 13 this morning. And we are going to answer this question, what is the point? The Apostle Paul has already laid out the qualifications of a deacon, and this is what he says. For those who serve well as deacons, 
gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And this is the word of the Lord. And may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to see and to hear his holy, inspired, inerrant word for his glory and our joy. Amen. As I've already said, we've spent much time in 1 Timothy chapter 3 already, especially in verses 8 through 13, discussing all of the qualifications last week in verses 14 through 16, and and showing that the the whole purpose of Paul's loving encouragement to his brother uh, in the faith who is pastoring in the city of Ephesus, this dear brother he loves in the city whom he whom he loves, he wants them to know how to behave and how to behave in the church. So clearly there is a right way in which we are to behave in the congregation of Christ. But if you look at verse 13, it it is not only at the end of the qualifications of a deacon, of deacons. You see that there. You can see how the editors certainly have put it there, right? And absolutely it is there because it is for deacons, because this is an explicit promise to those who serve well as deacons. Deacon work, serving in the body of Christ, is a lot of work, as we've already identified. It will, it will cost a lot of time. It will cost money. It will be a sacrifice. Emotional and mental bandwidth will be stretched. It will cost love. It will teach you how to love. It will show you what real love is and bearing with one another and so much. It's going to cost you so much in some ways. As a deacon, you are not on the stage. You will not always be recognized or appreciated with with amens and with applause. And this is why I say this question is so important. What is the point? And maybe that is why the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us these promises in verse 13 to deacons. That they will what? That they will gain a good standing for themselves. And second, they will have a what? Great confidence in the faith. Now, unlike the promise to elders in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, it would seem here, it would seem here that this, this is to potential deacons. Tell those who are potentially going to become deacons. Tell them this promise that if they serve well, here is your reward, here is your promise to to you. This, This is a perfect promise for us to hear this morning, for our potential deacons to be encouraged by, to serve. And so here are these two promises, one at which is horizontal, a good standing for themselves, and the other one is vertical, meaning they will gain a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And we're going to look at those two promises separately. So first, to the promise, of, to, the promise to the deacons is that they would gain a good standing for themselves. Now, there's a lot of debate surrounding this particular promise. Some have said that uh, this is where if, if deacons serve well, they'll gain a, a greater standing in such a way that they would be elevated to the role of deacon, or to the role, excuse me, of elder, as if deacon is just a stepping stone to elder, which it absolutely is not. And not only does this verse 
not imply such a thing, but the rest of the Bible doesn't show us that either. That does not mean that who is a deacon could never be a, become an elder, but there are those who are qualified as deacons who should never become elders. The good standing that they gain is one that is horizontal. It is a good standing before the body of Christ, before the church. Meaning that the office of, of deacon is one of honor. This servanthood is one, is one of, of honor among the body. That if one may serve well as a deacon, they will be thought of well and honored among the body of Christ. You know, in our, in our modern culture, what used to be virtues are now considered vices. Take, for example, the, the virtue of self-denial. The idea that one would sacrifice, that one would deny themselves of something in order to give or to contribute to the good of another. Whether that be for a family or friend or community in general. Self-sacrifice, self-denial. We see this in, 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 the, in family. We see this in fathers. Fathers are to virtually expend themselves for the good of their family. Even if they receive nothing. They are to expend themselves for the good and for the joy of their wives and for their children. You can see that those were ideas of the past. And these were ideals that were once pivotal. They were pivotal cornerstones in our, our culture. And in, in particular, I believe that these were pivotal even in the, um, uh, the American culture. And the reason why is because the Western culture is distinctly came out of a Christian worldview. There is absolutely no denying that. Listen to me, it, it wasn't uniquely Western ideals that's just self-denial in of themselves, but Western ideals are distinctly Christian values. But now in our culture, which arguably is now post-Christian, this very much is secular, the idea of sacrificing or suppressing your own desires and wants for anyone else, and I mean anyone else, your own family, your own spouses, your own children, anyone, your parents, is now considered blasphemous and unenlightened. You do what you have to do for you. That is no longer the height of narcissism, but it is the new morality and the highest virtue in the land. We call it self-care and self-love. Now, I say all this to you, not to depress us and where our culture is going, but I say this to you because I want you to see how the diaconal work is so countercultural. Because as we have already said, the central function of the deacon is to do what? To serve. 
to give of themselves for the good and the joy of others. A deacon by its very name and office is one who denies themselves and serves at the joy of others. They are strategizing ways to serve others. They are leveraging the whole church's resources. They are giving up their time to work for the body, the whole body of Christ. And they are to put all things in decent order and serve the poor and needy. And all of that takes self-denial. Deacons are the epitome of counterculture in a counterculture called the church. And we, as the church, should see in our deacons the self-denial that they are doing that is so counterculture to the world, we recognize their self-denial, their sacrifice, their service as a breath of fresh air in a world of narcissism. Deacons, they are first, they are working for the joy of the church. Again, to this point, we were just hammering home. They work for the joy of the church so that nothing will hinder what is the greatest priority of the church, and that is the preaching and prayer of the gospel. And again, Acts chapter 6 is that example for us. We see all the benefits and the the joys, and again, as I said at the beginning, this potential disaster that was coming upon them. And these deacons are put in place, and the church experiences great joy. They use the metaphor there in Acts chapter 6 that deacons act as shock absorbers for the joy and the benefit of the church, right? So like the car, they absorb the, the blows. They buffer the, the blows on the rough rides of the, the road. They make things smoother. And so the deacon has the, the role in the church of, of alleviating the tension in the church. The things that may separate us and divide us, deacons meet the gap or stand in the gap there and absorb the, the shock. In Acts chapter 6, again, the major point of tension that potentially could have split the church, but it didn't because of the wise implementation of deacons. They appointed seven qualified men, and that brought peace. In verse 5, it says, And what they, the apostles, said pleased the whole gathering. That is the church. And they, the church, chose deacons. They chose seven qualified men. Chosen by the qualifications, those who met the qualifications, pleased the whole congregation. They were shock absorbers, solved the problem. And so what's obvious about, about this here is deacons being a joy to the church is they are not ones who cause problems in the church. They fix them. They solve them. They alleviate. They heal. They don't pour gas and flames on, on division. They are not the, uh, the, uh, the continuers of gossip. They smash gossip. They bring unity under the word. They support the, the leadership in the church. And so if deacons are in this way, in a sense, these peacemakers for the body of Christ, do you see as the church, as potential deacons, how deacons can be a joy to the church and how in that role, in doing these things, that that can give them a good standing? We love peacemakers. Not armistice makers. 
peacemakers. People who, are, who bring peace in the church. And that brings good standing for the deacon among the body. Also in Acts chapter 6, we see how deacons help keep the church focused on the main thing. Like we said, the prioritizing of the preaching of the word, right? They, they serve tables. That's massively important, right? Benevolence is important. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But that's absolutely true. Absolutely right. And those things are huge. It's a major part of the diaconal ministry. But Jesus, as he ministered to the whole man, he also called us also, right, to give the cold drinks of water to, uh, to those who are in need, to minister to those who are in prison. It's like caring for him, Right? Those are the main thing. But Jesus still showed us in his life, in his ministry, what the main thing is. And that is the preaching of the gospel. The very weapons that the Lord has given to his church to build the kingdom of God and to subdue the kingdom of darkness is preaching and prayer. And those are the very things by which deacons uphold by their service. And when we diminish those for anything else, we prioritize other things other than those, even in the diaconal ministry, no matter how ethical, no matter how compassionate, no matter how virtuous, no matter how uh, helpful, then we cease to be a church and we might as well just close up and call ourselves a what? A soup kitchen. A food pantry. Because then we have ceased to become or be what a church is. Even our deacons, no matter, no matter what the task, they are to uphold and intertwine the gospel within their ministry. Could, could you imagine a deacon who had the task of caring for our children, a children's ministry, that if all they did was provide a clean, safe space for parents to take their children during the service, if that is all that they did, and they never shared the Bible with the children, and they never told the, the children about Jesus, or at least uh, brought about a plan or a way for those, or a structure for those things to take place, that would not be deaconing. Could you imagine a deacon bringing food to a, to a church member in need, and they just drop it off and then just leave? Or should a deacon take a minute to pray and to encourage and to make sure if there's any other needs that need to be met among that church member? Of course. Because the main thing should always be the main thing. And deacons embody this even in their ministry. And I bring all of this up here again because church, we are to see how much a benefit that deacons will be to our church when deacons do this. When they serve well, they will gain what? A good standing among us. And what we all need most is what deacons elevate in their service as a, as, a, as a ministry. They elevate in their service the preaching and the prioritizing of God's word. And as Christians, we understand that that is what we need fundamentally the most. The word of God shapes the people of God. And when the priorities of preaching and prayer take place in the church, and the deacons are upholding that in their service. We see in verse 7 from Acts chapter 6, the exponential blessing of God on his church. 
It says, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. And we talked about this a, 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 few, a few weeks ago. The di direct result of the church and being obedient to God's word and the work of the deacons and the, the solving of that, that problem did what? It brought about continued joy and peace through the preaching, the priority of God's word. And when God sees this church that, that prioritizes the word of God as being central, what does he do? He lavishes out his blessings upon them, doesn't he? The word of God continues to increase among them because that is what we need fundamentally more than anything else. And we see the blessing of that right there in verse 7. Amazing that even to the point where, where those who, who actively tried to, who did murder the Son of God, the priests, God said, look what I can do. I'm going to bring them in your midst and they're going to be transformed, and they're going to love the one whom they killed. Deacons, church, can you see, can you see then the joy of faithful deaconing in the church? And how the prioritizing of God's word the easing attentions, the peacemakers, the shock absorbers, that in their faithful service and what they do, that they will gain for themselves good standing among us. But not only before the church, but we also understand too that I think deacons also serve for the joy of the deacon. Right? I know it may sound selfish, and, and certainly we should not do all things, we shouldn't do everything just so that we can for what we get out of it, but let us not forget that it is a greater blessing to give than it is to receive. There is a great joy in knowing that you have been able to meet the needs and take care of the tasks of the church, and you have brought the good news with you, even if it came with a meal. Yes, that is an incentive. And it is an incentive to serve well and to serve, serve humbly. And soon you will find that the greater blessing is received by the one who serves and gives than the one who receives. And we understand that this reward is not in the end itself. It is encouraging and it is a blessing to the deacon that this work gives them a high standing among the congregation. A deacon that serves well gains a good standing, don't they? And they should. Romans 12, verse 10. I love this verse. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Brothers and sisters, we should be the greatest earthly encouragements of our deacons. And though they labor among us and lead us in their service well, in the tasks that they may have, in caring for all the physical facets of the church, from then our part, may they not grow weary because of us, because we withhold them honor. Deacons are to be a gift they may gain a good standing for themselves. 
And as much as deacons may gain a good standing and should gain a good standing before the church and should be honored among you and held in high regard among you, the, the second promise from 1 Timothy chapter 3 is actually even, even greater and is even more encouraging. In fact, if the first one is withheld, right? If the first one is, uh, is, is withheld by a stubborn congregation, then nevertheless, the second promise should sustain and encourage a deacon beyond anything else, especially when those questions of doubt, the question of the day, what is the point, comes. And this is the vertical promise from 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 13. Look at it from me again. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The deacon that serves well gains a greater confidence in the faith. A greater sense of confidence in the gospel. A greater confidence in their salvation, which, and which has the idea, understanding of the assurance of their salvation. This is the greatest of all blessings and promise to the deacon who serves well. A greater confidence and greater assurance in the faith. And to know that, no, no matter the circumstance then, no matter how difficult the task may be or the situation is or how mundane of painting or vacuuming or visiting or whatever it may be, that you may serve there knowing that you are building in you a greater confidence. Listen, listen to what that passage says. A greater confidence that is not in you. We want to serve thinking, what can I get out of this? But it doesn't say that. It says a greater confidence in what? Greater confidence in faith that is in Christ Jesus. Not greater confidence in the flesh. Not greater confidence in your works. But greater faith in Christ. What a promise to deacons. Boy, that has been missed like... My whole life when it comes to the diaconate, my understanding of deacons. Totally missed. Look at this promise. A greater faith in Christ, what it's building in us, what it's building in you. And I think this promise is, is fulfilled in the deacon that is, that is serving well, because in Jesus Christ, what? Jesus Christ, his servants do what? His servants show the glory of Christ. The servants of Christ show the glories of Christ. I mentioned to you all last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I want to go back there again just for a moment. In verses 16 through 24, Paul is telling the church in, in Corinth about these men that are coming to them. One being Titus, verse 16. And then there's this unnamed brother that is, that is famous for his preaching. In verse 18. But then there's this group of brothers, right? Remember in verse 23. And this unnamed group of brothers is doing what? They're bringing an offering. And they're also called 
these brothers that are messengers of the church. They are sent. When you see we're, uh, messengers, that's little a, uh, uh, apostolos, right? Ap- uh, uh, apostles. So it's little a, apostles. They're messengers of the church. They're bringing a message with them. And what is part of that message? Not only the gospel, but a part of that message that they bring is an offering. And this offering is brought to them predominantly from a Jewish church to a Gentile church. Now think about what that says in the gospel, right? And a predominantly Jewish church is giving money to a predominantly Gentile church. That totally speaks of the power of God to transform and change hearts and change lives completely. That's part of the message. That's part of the message and encouragement to the church. But then he says about these brothers who are messengers of the churches, the glories of Christ. And glory is the the outshining of the perfections of someone. And we know who that someone is. That someone is, is Jesus himself. But here are these, these brothers that represent these churches that are bringing this message and this offering that, that, that embodies in itself a picture of the transformation and the redemption and the body of Christ that unites them together. They're bringing this to them. And what are they doing? They are showing the glory of Christ. The compassion of Christ. Here's the benevolence of Christ. The love of Christ. The power of, gospel, of the gospel. So yes, they are messengers. But they're not just delivery guys with a gift. But these brothers in their persons, as they show up in persons, are the glory of Christ. And this glory is not reflected from the heavens, as we know from Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Saw a picture of that last night. I was sitting in the stadium. I was watching the ball game last night at Georgia Southern. I looked over and you can just see the magnificent sky. Beautiful sky. And as much as I thought about how beautiful that was, what could not get away from me is this text and this passage. It's as glorious and as beautiful that is. It's God's wonderful masterwork. His majesty. And we give him glory for that. But the glory of Christ is mediated through these brothers who have come to help alleviate the needs of the church. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That the office of deacon represents the kind of love and service to the church, to the poor and needy, that displays the glories of Christ. Even greater than a beautiful sky. The glories of Christ are mediated by the brothers who serve the body of Christ. And I know how lofty that seems. And I know how as sinners who who struggle, we understand we struggle with our motives and and, and we know how stained we are with sin and we're, and we're, we're very leery with thinking that our work, our service to one another, our duty to one another can display the glories of Christ. I can understand how that can, 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 we can struggle in our motive there. And also maybe we ask the question, how can a deacon who, who does such mundane things display the greater glories of Christ than such a magnificent sky? How could that happen? Well, I want to show you. 
We all know the wonderful introductory chapter of John chapter 1. And if you do not know John chapter 1, then I encourage you that this Lord's Day, listen, there is nothing better that you could do today than to prayerfully read John chapter 1 about three times. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, as we know, it shows us the glory of, Christ, of Jesus Christ and the purpose of his coming into the world to be light in the darkness. And we understand once again that that glory has come. That glory is shining in the perfections, and that is Jesus Christ himself who manifests in himself the glory of God. Hebrews 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and in his, he, in his exact imprint of his nature, he upholds the universe by his word and power. In Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul tells us that, that Jesus is the, the image of the invisible God. And from him, he has created all things. He holds all things together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is preeminent in all things. And in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The glory of God is manifested in Jesus Christ, period. And in John chapter 1, we see Jesus described as the light of all men. The true light to everyone. Which for us we understand is a, is a sort of a description, a metaphor in a sense of the, of the glory of God as the only sun. We see glory manifest in this idea of, of light, the shining light of the glory of God. We see that in Isaiah chapter 6. And we know from, from Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17 verse 5, that, that the Father is what, who glorifies the Son. He prays for the Father to glorify His Son, and the Father glorifies His Son. Then in Revelation 21, verse 23, it says, And the city has no need for the sun or moon to shine on it. Here's the light, right? To shine on it. For the glory of God, it give, gives it light. And the lamp is the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ. It is this Savior, brothers and sisters, that the light of the glory of God who manifests himself, the exact imprint of the glory of God, we have the joy and the honor of serving this king. And what does John say about that glory then in John chapter 1? Look at verse 14. He says, and the word became flesh. So here's the, the incarnation. And he dwelt among us. We have seen. Some of your translations say, we have beheld. We have seen his glory as glory as only the Son and from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is saying, we have in his flesh, when Christ came and dwelt among us, we saw his glory. How in the world did John and the disciples beheld or see the glory of Jesus Christ? How do we beheld or behold the glory of Jesus Christ? Well, we understand that the disciples certainly saw the transfiguration of Jesus, right? Remember the disciples that went, to Jesus on, went with Jesus on the mountain and they saw him in dazzling white? The disciples saw the resurrected body of Christ alive from the dead. 
The disciples witnessed the glorious ascension of Jesus into the heavens. And certainly those are ways that they saw and beheld the glory of Christ. But is that all? Is that all just in those particular ways that they beheld the glory of Christ? In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus came to Nazareth, he, he went into the synagogue, he stood up to read there, and he read from Isaiah chapter 61, and he said this, that, that he has been anointed by the Holy Spirit to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The ministry of Jesus Christ shows us what in this text? Shows us that this is what he has come to do. These are the things, these are the acts of love and compassion and benevolence that he has come to, to bring about. Not only preaching the good news of the gospel, preaching the kingdom of God, but serving and loving the total man. In Matthew chapter 11, John the, John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus as John was imprisoned and they asked him, John has sent us and they asked us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And you under, understand the context of that question. You can understand that this is not necessarily doubt, but this is birthed in suffering. And Jesus told them to go tell John what they have seen. He said, tell them what you have seen. And what have you seen? You've seen the blind receiving their sight. You've seen the, the lame to walk. You've seen leopards, lepers that are cleansed. You saw the deaf hear. You said that you've seen the dead that have been raised. You've seen and heard the poor have good news preached to them. And what is Jesus telling them? He's telling them this, is that he's telling them all that my glory as the Messiah has been revealed in my preaching the kingdom of God, but also in my good works of benevolence. And so as John said there in John chapter 1, verse 1, or verse 14, he says, well, we have beheld the glory of Christ. How? In the transfiguration and in the preaching, the resurrection and the ascension. But they also beheld the glory of Christ in his benevolence, his love, and his compassion. Again, do you understand what I'm saying here, what's being told to us here? That Jesus Christ showed us his glory in all of his works, including his acts of benevolence. How did the brothers show the glories of Christ in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8? By their acts of benevolence with the message of the gospel. How do deacons, or for that matter, all of Christians, show the glory of Christ? Though veiled as it is, we display the glories of Christ as it is manifested in our service, in love, and acts of benevolence toward one another. The purpose of Jesus' ministry was to reveal God to men through the preaching and benevolence. The purpose of the elders is to promote the ministry of Christ by preaching in order to reveal God to man. And the purpose of the diaconate is to promote the ministry of Jesus Christ by revealing God to man in their benevolence that Christ has shown. How does the church then beheld the glory of Christ, though veiled as it is? Yes, through the preaching, through the teaching of God's word, 
through prayer, through the Holy Spirit. But let us not diminish it in our acts of benevolence toward one another. How do we understand and feel the love of God on us? But by a brother who gives us a hug in those times of need. When a sister makes a meal because you can't. When you need a little gas money because our dumb gas is so expensive now. When you can't pay a rent and the church gives you a little bit to take care. That's the love of God. And his acts of benevolence for his people, for you. Yes, the love of God in sending Christ and his sacrifice, grace through faith. Yes, that theology is glorious. It's wonderful. We keep it at the top, but let's not remove and separate us from the fact that the love of God is also shown in our acts of benevolence to one another. That is the glories of Christ. And in the diaconate brothers and sisters, those who are given the promise of a greater confidence and faith in Jesus Christ, we, because they understand that what they do fundamentally in their serving, as mundane as it, need, as it may be, shows the glories and love of Jesus Christ. There should be a hearty amen there, unless you completely didn't understand me. I can start over. I just got to scroll back. So what's the point? Potential deacons, prospective deacons, eventual deacons. Should you pursue the diaconate? Should you say yes if you are asked? Will it be worth it? I hope that from this passage today and what we have talked about, that God's word has firmly answered that question for you this morning. I hope that you would have seen the joy that your service will give to the church and before them you will gain a good standing. And beyond that, I hope that you have seen that the service as a deacon is not merely serving tables, but it is the glory of Christ being shown to the church and to the world. Again, I say, this church needs qualified deacons. But we need deacons who know the point of the diaconate. And so as we close this morning and as we close this series... And as we all in the coming days will prayerfully consider those who should serve in the diaconate at Sovereign Grace Church, I want to end by reading to you one of my most favorite prayers in all the Bible in Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know that the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the, fullness, with the fullness of God. 
And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask for and think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all of God's children say, Amen. Amen.